Hello, Jim here, recording from the road on the way from South Carolina back to Quakertown, PA. Jeremy has sent me a review of Gotham City Monsters Number 1 by Steve Orlando, so I figured that when we stopped at a rest stop, I would upload this to the regular feed as a spotlight, which I'm doing now, so I just wanted to let you know what is going on. So Jeremy will be talking about Gotham City Monsters Number 1 later on tonight. If you're listening to this on a Sunday, the regular podcast will come out a condensed version with four books. If you need more then that, you can go over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash weirdscience, sign up, and get a whole bunch of other things, including this past week's Patreon Spotlight. And the Patreon Spotlight was Batman number 78 and Event Leviathan number 4. So you can go and listen to that and then listen to the condensed version of the podcast later when it hits the feed. But that's also on the Patreon already. So if you signed up for all the other things, you would get to listen to that right away as well. But I'm going to leave this off to Jeremy, and I hope you enjoy it. Well, that was suitably grand and gothic and a touch melodramatic, all uh, qualities that are probably entirely appropriate. Uh, for the current book under discussion. Uh, welcome, one and all, to the place where reason recoils, coherence cowers, and the long-established rules of storytelling sit gibbering in the corner, wishing that it would all just go away. I am, of course, referring to the, the Orlando, Orlando Zone. Zone. Oh, yes. That. That is where we are right now. Uh this is a bit of a of a special edition of the Orlando Zone because, of course, uh, it is separate from the main podcast. Uh, this is handy if you wish to avoid nonsense of any kind, although, to be fair, you do get a fair bit of that uh, in the main podcast anyway, uh, but admittedly uh, not in quite so concentrated or toxic a form as, uh, as one often gets on the zone. So, of course, uh, if you want to avoid that, you can, and uh, in which case I'm not talking to you uh, because you won't be listening. And who can blame you at the end of the day? For those brave, adventurous souls uh, who have decided to, uh, to join me on my perilous journey uh, through the the first issue of Gotham City Monsters, uh, a book whose raison d'etre seems to be we've got Steve Orlando on a contract and we need to give him something to write, which, you know, fair, fair enough, I guess. Uh, if you have joined me on that perilous journey, welcome. It's always nice to have company. Misery loves company, so they say. Uh, so uh, as long as you're appropriately miserable, you are welcome. Uh, Gotham City Monsters, issue number one, is of course written by the mighty Steve Orlando, the man uh, whose name graces the zone, the man uh, in whose honor the zone has been established. Uh, what a what a wonderful chap he is. Uh, art is by a guy called Amanke Nahrilpan. I'm probably saying that wrongly. Um, he's a, a Chilean-Canadian artist. Apparently, he was um, he was on the he was in the New Talent Showcase uh, a couple of years ago. Um, I think this might be his first regular gig. I don't know. Uh, he's pretty good. He's got some chops. Uh, we'll talk about him uh, in a moment. Colors are by Trish Mulvihill. And letters are by Tom Napolitano. Uh, cover price is $3.99 and is, of course, published by 
by DC Comics, because because who else would publish uh, a book called Gotham City Monsters? Really, come on! Right here we go. A book featuring DC's woefully underrepresented monsters set in Gotham City. Uh, that should be a no-brainer, right? A slam dunk, out of the park home run, touchdown in the last gas moments of a Super Bowl game kind of book, right? Those are all sports references, I know, for those of you who who don't know these things. Sure, there are a couple of minor characters like Orca and Lady Clay in the mix, but when you've got bigger monsters like Frankenstein, yeah, I know, he's the creator, humor me, Andrew I. Vampire Bennett and Killer Croc leading the line, what could possibly go wrong? What indeed? What could go wrong? Well, what a rhetorical question that was, um, because quite frankly, it's pretty obvious what could go wrong. Steve Orlando, that's what could go wrong. And indeed, that is essentially what has gone wrong with this entire book. It's been written by Orlando. Now, those of you who uh, who listen to The Zone on a regular basis will know I do not hate Steve Orlando. In, my, in fact, in many respects, there are a lot of things I like about him. Uh, he is an honest guy. You understand what I mean by that? He he does not play uh, silly little games on Twitter like some people <laughs> people do. He's an honest guy. He's an honest writer. I like that. He believes in in notions of heroism and altruism, and he sees heroism as a very clearly defined thing about bringing people together and what have you. There are, there are, you know, kind of problems with that. But again, I kind of like that. He's a positive guy. I can handle that. Unfortunately, he has writing foibles and he has a lot of heart as well in a lot of his work. And he, ha- and he has, has almost a, a charming naivety when it comes to, uh, to some of his work. But that's not really present here. What is present are Orlando's writing issues. Um, before we get into this, by the way, those, those of you who kind of, who have tuned in, uh, because, because you want to hear the English guy lose his mind, that, that probably will happen. So stick around. Okay. It's, uh, it's likely to happen. It, it really is. Uh, before we start though, I, I want to talk about covers. Uh, as, as you know, I quite like, I quite like a good cover. There are two good covers, uh, actually for this, uh, this issue. Uh, there's the main one, which I think is by Philip Tan. I could be wrong. Um, looks like it is. Um, it's, uh, it's got, uh, a group shot of, uh, of the group on the front. And then it's a six monstrous heroes, one multiversal threat. Now, there's a couple of things to say about this. Uh, the first thing is the word multiversal in a Steve Orlando book, on the cover even of a Steve Orlando book, should send you running a mile. Okay. If you have picked up this book and you have decided to read it, despite the fact that the word multiversal is on the front, I'm sorry, man, that is on you. I'm sorry, whoever you are. Okay. Uh, 
I, I love you. I think you're a great person, but you have chosen to pick this book up. It's got the word multiversal on the front. What were you expecting? Okay. That's the first thing. The second thing is somebody in DC can't count because there are five characters on the front, not six. Now it is entirely possible that there is a sixth character in the form of a sentient sun. Okay. Uh, sort of shining in the background or some weird kind of ball of energy. It is entirely possible. However, we're only introduced to the five other characters on the front, and I'm guessing that that ball of energy probably isn't censured, probably isn't a character, and somebody's cocked up. I, I, I'm thinking, okay? Don't get me wrong, there probably will be six, uh, six monstrous characters at some point, uh, in the, in the lifespan of this book, okay? But at the moment, there are only five, and we're only introduced to five during the course of the book. Okay. The second cover is a Frank Cho cover. Now, I'm going to just put this out there. I like Frank Cho. I think he's great. I think he's a really good artist. Fairly obviously, he draws kind of cheesecake stuff, a lot of cheesecake stuff. I get that. I'm not averse to that particularly. This is okay. It's okay as a cover. I, I, I quite like, you know, there are things like there are bats flying around because obviously, you know, Gotham, it's uh, Batman's. Uh, you may already know this, but uh, Gotham City is uh, is Batman's hometown. Hmm. Uh, so there is a uh, a cracked bat signal, and there's a group shot of the uh, of the five of them uh, sort of wandering around. Uh, curiously, there are kind of kind of uh, blimps, kind of big airships flying in the background. Um, it, it's a, it's an odd it's an odd looking image in some respects. What is particularly odd is he's is he's drawn Lady Clay uh, naked because I'm guessing Lady Clay probably is naked. Really, she doesn't really need clothes. Um, I guess, uh, and she's got a kind of a monstrous right arm, uh, handily uh, covering up uh, her nakedness. As it were, so that's exciting. Um, shall we just dive in? I think we probably should. Here we go. Page one. I'm going to read the narration to you. Isn't that nice? Um, there is a reason for me reading the narration, um, and uh, you'll find out what it is in a moment. And so, so I always like, um, I always like issues that start with and. And so, and so, like many who've lost everything, I came to Monster Town, a neighborhood once nearly leveled by a behemoth created by Dr. Hugo Strange, classified by Shade as a terrorist psychiatrist. As the rest of the city was choked in the grip of Bane, Monster Town thrived and regrew, but there, slipped through the cracks in the shadowed brick of Gotham, new horror yet lurked. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Until you start thinking about it. First of all, the whole issue of Monster Town is is a really strange thing. I, 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 I'm not a big... Uh, knowledgeable person when it comes to uh to gotham city um is monster town a thing i don't know uh is it is it just kind of being used for this uh this series or does it already exist i i, I understood that there was a uh, a kind of an underground an underground kind of place where 
um, sort of down and outs went. We, we, we kind of saw that in the Batwing book in the night, in the new 52. Uh, but this is, this is above ground and, um, it's just slightly bizarre. You've got this, this sort of, this skeletal kind of structure, uh, that is presumably made when one of the monster men, uh, kind of died. And you've got this kind of kaiju style skeleton kind of looming over the, over the, the landscape. Which could be good, except he doesn't really do anything with it. It's just kind of there as a decorative kind of addition, really, in the background. Um, so that's, that's kind of potentially interesting, but disappointing in terms of the fact he doesn't really deliver on it. We do see some important parts of Monster Town, including the Magus Theatre, um, which uh, plays a part later on. You've also got kind of a ruined church, and uh, we're going to go down below that church in a moment. Um, the dialogue is is kind of you see. Here's the thing: I, I quite quite like the idea of Doctor Hugo Strange being classified as a terrorist psychiatrist, except it's a little clumsy. Um, so rather than terrorist psychiatrist, why not sort of psychiatric terrorist? Well, no, actually, that that would that would be better, wouldn't it? Psych- as he's a psychiatric terrorist. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm overthinking that. I do know, and I said this in my review, that the narration is off. In the rest, as the rest of the city was choked in the grip of Bane. Why don't not just say choked? I know you think, well, okay, it's only one word. Yeah, but you know, you don't have a lot of words to play with in comics. It's just more direct was choked or choked it's kind of it's better to go with choked i think monster town thrived and regrew um that's kind of banal really um i i don't know i don't know what you would put in its place uh thrived and regrew so regrew suggests it had shrunk which instantly kind of raises questions about what's been happening in Monster Town, which are questions that, that Orlando has no interest in answering. Um, so it might be better to, to go with a different word. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's just whatever. But there, slipped through. You see, slipped. You can't do that. Slipped through the cracks. Growing in the cracks might be better. And then he goes in and says, in the shadowed brick of Gotham, and it's almost like, oh, yeah, I want to say under the shadows of Gotham and, and I want to get the word brick in there because there's a sense of solidity and, and what have you. Uh, but then he, he messes it up by using a preposition that's inappropriate because it makes it sound like wherever this new terror is, it's actually physically within, within the fabric of the city itself. But slipped in the cracks, it slipped through the cracks is just, it's just not not good. No, I don't. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Somebody's screaming. By the way, I've, I'd forgotten about that. Somebody's screaming. New horror yet lurked, and we find out what the new horror is. And, and I said this in my review. Uh, this is terrible. Well, it's not terrible. It's just not very good. Uh, you got Andrew Bennett, I vampire. He looks kind of sexy and um, very uh, Vampire Diaries esque. Um, and he's uh, fighting the Mad Monk and his acolytes. Uh, they've been kidnapping soup kitchen volunteers. That's a very specific. <laughs> it's a 
very, very specific category of target. You know, so I, I, oh, what are you going to go for? I'm going to go for soup kitchen volunteers. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, so if you come across somebody who isn't a soup kitchen volunteer, but you can, no, no, I'm just going to, just going to stick to the soup kitchen volunteers. Well, what about, what about the homeless people that the soup kitchen is feeding? Nope. Nope. Not going to go for them. Just the volunteers. Right. Okay. That, that's, that's very interesting. Why are you doing that? I don't know. The only reason we know this, by the way, is, is because Andrew Bennett tells us, uh, or actually tells the mad monk. He tells the Mad Monk about the plan that the Mad Monk already knows about because it's his plan. Oh, rounding up soup kitchen workers for sacrifice in your sick church. Yep, that's what they're doing. Um, well, what would be nice, actually, is if we saw Andrew Bennett actually kind of rescuing the the soup kitchen workers and they they kind of you know they he he lets them go free and they kind of promise him free soup or whatever. I, I don't know. That would have been nice. Uh, but we don't get that. We just get the, the confrontation between Bennett and, uh, and the vampires. And he, he rips out the mad monk's heart. Uh, and what's really fascinating about this is, is, is the mad monk doesn't seem to be overly incapacitated by this. My, my understanding is, is that if you're a vampire and somebody rips out your heart, that's pretty much game over for you. Um, uh, particularly if they then cut off your head, which of course Andrew Bennett doesn't, doesn't do here. He's just got the heart. This guy just keeps on talking. So, as warned, Bennett, stronger than your bite. He's talking about his blood, because Bennett, Bennett decides to bite the mad monk and suck his blood, and uh, his blood tastes disgusting. Who, who knew that that would happen? But apparently the whole issue is, is that the blood becomes a bit of a clue that kind of something's up, because his blood shouldn't be this strong and shouldn't have this effect on Andrew Bennett and what have you. Anyway, uh, so Andrew Bennett pledges to kill the Mad Monk's master, whoever that is. He doesn't know who it is, and neither do we. Not at the moment. So we've got a little bit of a mystery going there. Uh, the art's pretty good. It's all right. Uh, he's definitely, he definitely looks like uh, Stefan Salvatore uh, of the Vampire Diaries at one point. He, he, he looks very... <laughs> almost, almost photo reference, you know, kind of similarity there, but... I, I don't I don't care about that. You might, but I don't. Uh, the next person uh, we see is uh, Killer Croc, uh, who has been uh, released from uh, the Suicide Squad and uh, is now wandering around Gotham uh, and trying to uh, find work that doesn't involve doing bad things. Um, he ends up... Uh, well, he's been living in a kind of low hotel that's run by Tusk, um, who's, uh, I, I kind of like the, uh, the artwork for this, this kind of guy. He's kind of like a mutant freak, uh, with tusks either side of his face. Uh, and, um, yeah, the, the, it's an, it's nicely drawn. And, um, they have this kind of conversation, uh, which sets up the character quite well. And I, and I would say, actually, this is one of those, uh, one of the times in the issue where, where Orlando does a decent job. There's a thing about the opera, um, that the, the, the local theatre, which we've, which you've already seen, the Magus Theatre, uh, is, 
is doing a uh, an opera based on well you see the thing is is if i told you what it was based on i would give the ending away so i'm not going to do that but 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 there's there's a reference to what it's on it's a kind of a gothic kind of thing so um we'll get to that later um so that, that that's kind of the seed for that is kind of planted uh the uh, then we get Frankenstein in a bar, um, and, fra- yeah, and we're back to nonsense again. Um, you know, we, we've had like a little bit of respite from nonsense, and we, we've had, you know, Killer Croc, we kind of like Killer Croc, we kind of sympathize with him, and now we're back to nonsense again, we're back to a bar fight. Between Frankenstein, uh, Frankenstein's monster, really, who of course has been let go by Shade, because Shade no longer exists, because of Leviathan. There's kind of some, uh, somewhat clumsy heavy-handed references to the wider wider dc universe but but seeing as nobody really cares about leviathan um it, it all falls a little bit flat uh, i mean it's a nice it's a nice gesture by orlando to kind of be a team player um but the team's being run by morons so it doesn't really matter um but which is a shame because you know anyway frankenstein is uh, is clearing up his old his old cases presumably because he doesn't have anything better to do, which is fair enough actually. Um, that, that's that's fair enough. So he's in a bar uh, tracking down uh, a. All right, do you know what? I'm I'm just going to read the dialogue. <clears throat> he's got hold of a uh, he's got hold of a of a like a minotaur in jeans and a, and a plaid shirt, and he's got him by the by the throat. Um, and this is what he says. Yours is one of the last open cases before Shade's abrupt destruction by that same Leviathan. You are unwilling host to a gestalt bovine disease, desperate to leapfrog to humans through your hybrid flesh. Here's, here's the thing. I'm just going to throw this out there. Okay. Gestalt bovine <laughs> disease. In the first issue of uh, Grant Morrison and Liam Sharp's The Green Lantern, uh, Hal finds himself fighting, actually, a gestalt entity uh, that that occupies several different uh, bodies at the same time and kind of have a, a unifying sort of mental, mental control. Um, and that's quite cool because you don't realize what it is until – until about halfway through the fight. It's not spelled out for you un- until you've had a chance to kind of, to kind of work out or try to work out what's going on, which is quite nice. Orlando doesn't really do that. He just kind of lays it all out for you. The thing about, you know, gestalt, what is it? Gestalt bovine disease. <laughs> So, so if memory, if I'm reading this correctly, this this is a uh, a kind of sentient virus that that normally uh, normally inhabits cows, but but has kind of got itself together, presumably across many different cows, and has kind of has now decided that it wants a crack at humanity, and it's using the the minotaur as a kind of a halfway house i kind of i kind of like the idea of that it's not a bad idea um i mean it is it is a very silly idea but i like silly ideas a lot of the time um it's just handled incredibly badly and so you you've got this um this bar fight where you know there's a fight going on and uh, and one of the characters is just spouting 
uh, quite detailed, uh, but ultimately uh, not very clear exposition at the other. I don't know. I, does that happen in real life? I, I don't know. I've not been in a bar fight. So I, you, maybe it happens. Maybe it happens like, right, you, I'm going to have, and I'm fighting you, uh, because, uh, your nose is particularly ugly. Uh, you're cross-eyed and, uh, and you don't shave properly. And also you smell. Is that, is that the way it works? I, I don't know. Oh, and you know, you may have been possessed by a gestalt bovine disease. Uh, and if you have, I'm, I'm definitely taking you on. Uh, what I do like, uh, and, uh, is, is that, is that this is a very, very, very negative, almost nihilistic Frankenstein. So he's, he talks to the, 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 the minotaur who is the host of the disease and basically kind of says, you know, life isn't fair. You know, it, it's not fair that I have to kind of kill you to get at the disease that's on the inside of you. Very sorry about that, but you know, life isn't fair. And, and he's, he's quite sort of grim about it all, which I, which I, again, I kind of like. He, uh, he cracks a bottle of damn fine whiskey. That's literally what it's called. <laughs> damn fine whiskey on the, uh, on the Minotaur's head. And the, the Minotaur is breaking out into horrible boils. That would be the Gestalt bovine disease. Mm. Uh, and then he, uh, he lights the alcohol and, uh, the poor, the poor Minotaur gets on, on, goes on fire. And the artwork here is actually pretty good. It's, it's, uh, you know, Frankenstein's kind of standing alone by the bar watching this, this poor Minotaur burn. And it, he looks kind of crazed and foaming at the mouth and what have you. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of impressive in a really silly way. Um, all right. Uh, he then drinks the rest of the whiskey. Which is kind of weird, actually, because because he has broken this bottle, as far as I know. Unless there's like of like lots and lots of different people kind of drinking damn fine whiskey at their tables from the bottle. I don't know, and I'm very confused about this. Right, anyway, he he kind of this is this is this is just great Orlando stuff. You know, he's sitting at the bar. The guy is burning next to him. Then the Minotaur is burning next to him, and he just kind of ignores that. Um. And he he drinks the damn fine whiskey, and he quotes, uh, "Yet from those flames, no light, but rather darkness visible." Um, I can't remember where that's from. <laughs> I should I should know that. Uh, it sounds it sounds kind of gothic, so I'm I'm guessing kind of Keats or someone like that. But anyway, um, my lick, and then as he's he kind of uh, he's touching the the blood on that is spilt on the. Uh, on the on the bar, and it kind of recoils away from him. It kind of moves away from him, and he says, "My liquid recoils. The blood rejects the body. A grim sign that its foul donor calls." And I'm like, "Okay, one of the problems we've got here, and it's a, it's a massive, massive problem. Uh, bearing in, and, and it and it's a silly problem because bearing in mind that we've just had Frankenstein kind of explain to us about the Gestalt bovine disease, he knows who who the big bad guy is. It's going to turn up at the end, and he he doesn't tell us and he doesn't give us any hints. And and I think okay, on the one hand, yeah, you're trying to build up mystery here, Steve. We 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 kind of get that. On the other, it's it's all a bit silly, um, and 
and it, and and it's difficult to follow as a result of that. So he does this kind of whole cryptic kind of enigmatic thing, which 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 could conceivably work if it was handled a little bit more skillfully. But but it's just not. My liquid recoils. What 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 are you talking about? Okay, are you talking about the blood? It's not your blood, is it? So, so why, why, why use my, my liquid records? Just the liquid records, the blood records. That would even be better. Um, and I'm just like, you're talking, you're talking enigmatically, but in like a really bad way. It's like, it's like a really bad kind of, uh, kind of spy drama where sort of people talk quite cryptically and enigmatically at one another and and they they there's a lot of eyebrow waggling and what have you about sort of, oh, this is what i really mean and it's like it's it's like that except that except no nobody is waggling their eyebrows at me nobody there's a mandrill uh in hiding in the shadows that's cool i like mandrills they're all right um we're gonna have to leave the mandrel for the time being because now we're in gotham harbor and there's a boat sinking uh the boat is trying to uh trying to it uh, bane has got some kind of smuggling thing going on he needs a shipment uh being brought in by boat and uh orca uh the former marine scientist i think she was uh, now turned kind of uh, anthropomorphized killer whale uh, attacks the boat uh, rather confusingly one of the one of the sailors turns out to be made of clay why we don't really know uh, that obviously ties into lady clay who we're about to see as well apparently she flies around gotham with her with her wings uh, but she also has um she sends parts of herself out. Uh, I, 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 okay. All right. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read it. It's probably easier just to read it. Overlooking the water, another cast off finds home in Monster Town. Sondra Fuller. A need for acceptance drove her to the Cobra Cult. See, see, the moment you mention Cobra Cult, it's like, no, I'm not, I'm not so keen on that. <laughs> A need for acceptance drove her to the Cobra Cult, who preyed on her perceptions and transformed her into... What does that mean? What? <laughs> preyed on her perceptions? What? What perceptions? What are, what are you talking about? I, I, I think I... See, the thing is, right, I, I, I've read enough Orlando to, to have a vague idea of what he means by that. I, I think he's talking about the fact that Sa Sandra Fuller... Uh, has been obviously she's she's been made into lady clay no no that happens after the cobra call i no, i don't get this i don't get this at all i was going to say it's because she's become lady clay and and she's kind of freaked out about her, uh, her physical appearance and and what have you uh that doesn't seem to be the case because uh so so what, what when he says preyed on, on on her perceptions what does that actually mean why doesn't he just say they indoctrinated her for god's sake or why doesn't he just say you know they indoctrinated her into the cult and they experimented on her i, I i'd have been okay with that preyed on her perceptions what 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 are you talking about and it clearly doesn't matter to you steve because you don't do anything with it what preyed on her perceptions and transformed her into their agent lady clay now cobra is gone yay <laughs> See ya, Cobra. <laughs> Th 
thanks to the same Leviathan that destroyed Shade. Leviathan, it gets around, doesn't it? God, it's everywhere. Leviathan, woo! I need to start reading our book. Or do I? I don't know. Somebody tell me. Do I need to start reading Event Leviathan? I don't think I do. Uh, now Cobra is gone. Thanks to the same Leviathan that destroyed Shade. And Fuller doesn't know who she is. And you see her kind of transforming into the into the sailor that we've just seen. Her feathers help her answer that question. <laughs> her feathers help her answer that question. I don't know who I am. Oh, I've got feathers though. That's that's good. That helps. How? How does it help? I can't help. Oh God, I can't handle this. I can't handle this. Her feathers help her answer that question. Why? Because she can like fly around. I don't know. I don't know how that helps answer who you are. Surely it raises more questions. In any case, it's not feathers. Is it? It's they're, they're from the clay. They're, they're clay. They're not real feathers. They're, they're what? What are you talking about? Are you are you suggesting that like she's unconsciously assumed a, a shape? That, that allows her to fly around and be free. Do you know what? That's good. Lad, I like that idea, but that's not really what you're saying here, Steve, is it? Oh dear. I can't cope. Her feathers help her answer that question. Clay cutting sent out into the world to bring her the perfection she's always wanted by living every possible experience. <laughs> oh! Right, so what what is she what is she doing? Is she is she just like sending out her feathers as clay cuttings and then what? What what does she do? Because cause we see a, a guy in a suit with a ticket going into the theatre. Uh this is the same theatre performance that that Killer Croc was invited to earlier on. So we we see him go into the theatre and there's clay. There's clay on his uh on his trousers. Now now whether whether that means like he's unconsciously kind of being manipulated by Lady Clay, or whether it means that he is a clay person so that she's able to kind of control uh, I I don't know. I don't know. Oh, I don't know. Help me. Somebody help me. Right. Okay. Come on. Get yourself together, Jeremy. You can do this. Right. Okay. Then we get, uh, we just get a page of, of Frankenstein killing the mandrel that was chasing him. Uh, except we don't really know that he was chasing him, but I, I guess he must have been chasing him. Uh, here we go. Do you, do, do you want some dialogue? I kind of say this is quality dialogue. It's, it's just so good. You stink of red sands, Mandrill. I left your master there to be devoured by the mantis mares of Mars. What? What? What's going on? I don't know. Tell me, how has he escaped that living death? And the mandrel replies, your brain has always been your most rotten organ. He's throwing shade. He's throwing shade. At the at the former employee of Shade. That's very meta. Oh, yes, it is. Your brain has always been your most rotten organ. Our king's soul can never be extinguished. He tore his meat 
from those beasts and rode an erdle gate to the place of his rebirth. <laughs> Tonight the wanderer rises in a ritual that smelts souls and creates a new vessel, an opera given in his honour he'd love for you to attend. I have no soul to smelt, and while your wandering king may be undying, you are anything but. And he blows him away, and that's that's pretty impressive. So basically we go to we go to the theatre uh and frankenstein's on the roof of the theater uh watching people arrive and uh watching the performance and there is indeed a cauldron and it's attended to by mandrels um the the the, the point here is there's just nothing there's not enough done with this play there's not enough done with it there's enough to kind of get kind of make the connection between what happens at the end of the issue and with this this play which is clearly not really a play but some kind of arcane ritual to summon um the big bad guy at the end of the issue but there's just not enough there's not enough done with it um there's a nice kind of literary reference to uh the charles maturin novel uh melmoth the wanderer um and it is of course melmoth who is the bad guy at the end um who's from who's from the seven soldiers of victory um the, the the problem is is just that there isn't enough made of that. There really isn't. It's 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 just a reference with a couple of panels of, of this green cauldron, and that's pretty much it. Um, and 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 the the issue, I mean, the issue ends. I mean, I'll, I'll talk about the ending now, and I'll talk about the bit just before it in a minute. Um, the the issue ends with kind of Melmoth kind of showing up. Uh, and I don't know who Melmoth is. I had to look him up um, uh, in the uh, on Wikipedia or the DC Wiki, one of the two. Um, so, so if you don't know who he is, then then that 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 ending to the issue is like completely flat. It's like, oh, it's Melmoth. Oh, right. Oh, crap. It, we're, we're probably meant to feel uh, a bit upset about that, but I have no idea who he is. So, uh, okay. And, and I think, do you know what? I, I think if you're a writer, you have to kind of allow for the fact that, that people are not going to get that. It, 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 it's like when Mandrak gets name dropped in the unexpected. In fact, I said this in the, in the review on the site. There's a very kind of unexpected feel to all this. Um, because it's just, it's just, it's just mostly utter nonsense. Um, and it's mostly, re- you know, it, it's either nonsense or it's references to Grant Morrison stories. I mean, obviously sort of, um, it seems to me that Orlando has a big, kind of hard on for for grant morrison and and fair enough i find him quite attractive myself if i must say so but 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 the, the point is is that he's he's kind of a he's assuming a heck of a lot of his reader that that um that we all know who melmoth is and and we just don't we we, we don't know who he is and and uh and so the, the ending has has no impact whatsoever and and is is as flat as a pancake. It's just crazy. Uh, before we, we get to that, uh, Frankenstein, uh, and Andrew Bennett meet up and you think, okay, the, these guys are going to team up to stop whatever it is that's going, that's going to happen. Uh, but they don't because, um, because Frankenstein doesn't trust Bennett. Um, not because of anything that Bennett has done, but simply because, um, he thinks that Melmoth will be able to control him. Um, and so he, he cuts him into two and, and decides to, well, here's the thing. He decides to let Melmoth be, tra- be, be summoned, basically. Um, because, well, I'm not really sure why. He kind of says, he kind of says, basically, 
he he it's up to him to try and to try and stop him to start try and stop Melmoth. Um, but but he won't stop him from being reborn. He's just going to stop him when he comes over. It's a very odd kind of thing, and it does it needs to be better explained than it, than it is. It might be explained next issue. Of course, it's entirely possible. Um, Melmoth. I mean, I mean, there is a fantastic um, the, the sort of second, no, third to last, third to last page um, is of um, is of the theatre kind of sort of being transfixed by a column of sort of mi- mystical, well, presumably multiversal kind of energy, which is sort of blue. And it is, is tremendous artwork. Um, and, and of course in the audience, uh, well, I'm not sure. I don't think Orca's in the audience, but um, one of Lady Clay's cuttings is Tusk definitely is. And so is Killer Croc. So, so there are quite a few of the Gotham City monsters team that are kind of, not that they are a team yet, who are kind of in the vicinity. And, um, and, and kind of Melmoth steps out of the cauldron and he's this kind of weird looking sort of almost like a, a kind of well dressed sort of version of uh of Ming the Merciless. Um and, you know, he's sort of bald with a moustache and kind of weird hypnotic eyes and he's surrounded by mandrels and, and, and the you know the, the the image is actually quite quite effective, but it's just the the fact that we have no real context for any of this and we don't know who Melmoth is. We don't know um we don't know much about him. We don't know much of what he's planning other than that it's bad. And he says, you know, let's save the multiverse. And at which point I just kind of want to go, can, can we not? I'd, I'd, I'd rather do something else, please. Could we, I don't know, hang around and play charades or something like that? The whole point, the whole problem with, okay, there are a number of, of really quite significant problems with this issue. Just the, the whole exposition dialogue thing just has become a real bugbear of mine. And it's something that Orlando does very very frequently and and it, it it just does my head in really and i'm sick of it i'm i'm sick of it 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 just makes me very angry there's got to be a way of telling a story um whereby you you take the reader with you rather than just kind of you know there's a lot of there's a lot of telling and not showing in this in this issue and yeah you know some of the action sequences are great but you know but but they're kind of decontextualized and it, and the the context is kind of provided for you through dialogue rather than through the 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 writer actually providing you with with context in a more naturalistic way and and it, and it just it's just very flat the whole thing's just kind of flat and dull and it shouldn't be it shouldn't be dull you've you've got you've got some really interesting characters here and he does do he does a pretty good job with frankenstein and he does a good job with killer croc um and and i kind of like frankenstein i like his kind of dour uh cynicism i i i like that a lot what i don't like is 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 having things shoehorned into the plot and being told things rather than being given an opportunity to kind of think about them for myself and 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 work them out and kind of and kind of follow the characters as they as they uncover the plot and that just that just doesn't happen here and then you've got the dialogue and and you know i mean if you're going to ex- expound things primarily through dialogue then for crying out loud make the dialogue good make it make it uh 
make it engaging. And, and this is all just so, and now I've said it before, you know, I mean, there are one or two kind of, you know, little, Kind of moments, particularly in the Frankenstein dialogue and, and the Killer Croc dialogue, actually, to be fair, that, 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 that are kind of okay. You know, they're okay. But, but there's a lot of, it, it's all one note and very kind of melodramatic and, and very, and very, very flat. I keep on coming back to that word. It is. It's just a very, very flat book. Um, so I gave it 4.5. And, um, I mean, I mean, I was speaking to somebody on Slack. I can't remember who it was now. I was speaking to a couple of people on Slack. Uh, it might have been Tom. Um, just about what, why this exists. And, and I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I like the idea of a monster book. I, I like the idea of this book. I when, when, uh, when it was announced, I said to Jim, I said, I'll have that. And it's not just because it's Orlando. It's because I, I kind of genuinely kind of like the, the idea. But, but, but when you get into kind of like, oh, okay, it's, it's all this multiversal stuff. And I'm just like, why? Why? We, we don't need it. Just, just give me a, a, a decent threat that is confined. Do you know what? Confined to Gotham. I mean, I, I think back to the new 52 Batwoman, which, which is kind of, which is kind of, it's similar. It's in the, it's in the same wheelhouse as, as this in the sense that you're dealing with kind of, kind of supernatural mythic threats in, in Gotham City. And that was, you know, you didn't need to bring in the whole kind of multiverse at that point. It was just, you know, it was just really interestingly plotted and, and, and well told stuff. Um, and, and there's no need for the multi, the multiverse. Every time I hear the word multiverse, unless it's, unless it's anything to do with anything that Grant Morrison is doing, it just turns me right off. I'm like, you know, we, we've had like years of this now. Of, of sort of, you know, Dark Knights, uh, it's probably only been two years, actually. It just feels like it's been a hell of a lot longer. We've had sort of, you know, the, the kind of, the kind of implications of, of Dark Knights metal kind of rumble on and on and on. And I'm just kind of bored of it now. Um, and, and certainly, you know, to, to see that word multiversal on the cover of a Steve Orlando book is just like, no, I, I, no, I don't, <laughs> I don't want this. <laughs> can we do, can we do something else? But this is where we are. This is what we're doing. Obviously, for the six issues, we're dealing with Melmoth and, and what, what he's up to. I don't know. And I guess we'll find out. Uh, I guess we'll find out in issue two and, you know, yeah. Okay. Uh, 4.5 out of 10 is what I gave it. Uh, thank you very much for listening to my largely incoherent ramblings. Um, I am sorry that they're incoherent. Uh, but the, the issue kind of does bring out the worst in me in some, in some respects. Um, and, hmm. There we go. Uh, anyway, I hope you have enjoyed listening to this. Uh, it is now over, and that's the main thing. Uh, I hope you have a great week, uh, and I hope your comics uh, continue to be good and wonderful and lovely. Uh, if you are interested in following me at all, you can do so on at Jeremy on Twitter, and you can check out my WordPress blog, www.jddunsani.wordpress.com. Uh, and that'll do me for now. Thank you very much again for listening. You take care. Have a great week. Bye-bye.